My guest today, Elisipi, was born in the Arctic Circle and grew up in a small town called Salarit, where the climate is incredibly rugged and beautiful and living in harmony with nature is pretty much a mandate. She loved the town she grew up in, but was kind of always dreaming of the South, speaking a mix of Inuktitut, English, and French. She also fell in love with music at a young age, began singing and composing, and eventually found her way to Montreal, where she began raising a family and building a career in the world of music, releasing albums and touring the world as both a musician and an ambassador for Inuit culture. Her new multi-award winning album, The Ballad of the Runaway Girl, it's kind of the musical tale of an expatriate Inuk. She sings about the different facets and challenges of being a woman, but also an adopted child, a mother and a lover. And through this exploration of her Northern roots and her femininity, we learn about a person who is proud of her origins and who works for the recognition of her people's historic difficulties. Rolling Stone France called it a delicately violent album that seduces as much as it questions. And NPR said Elisabeth synthesizes stories from her eventful life with hypnotic arrangements that channel 70s rock, indigenous folk music, and the low, moody rumble of barnstormers like Tom Waits. I have to agree with all of this. In this conversation, we trace and dive into her journey from the very earliest days, telling a deeply moving story of actually her adoption and growing up in a town where she lived just a few blocks away from her birth parents. And her transformation, deep interest in music, journey to Montreal and then around the world and what she's up to today. So excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields. And this is Good Life Project. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Good Life Project is sponsored by LinkedIn Ads. So as a business-to-business marketer, your needs are unique. B2B buying cycles are long and your customers face incredibly complex decisions. So isn't it time you had a marketing platform built specifically for you? LinkedIn Ads empowers marketers with solutions tailored for B2B. Imagine having direct access to a billion professionals, including 180 million senior executives and 10 million C-level leaders with LinkedIn's powerful targeting tools built for B2B, you can drive serious results. 
LinkedIn ads generated two to five times higher return on ad spend than other social platforms in the technology space. We've actually tapped the power of LinkedIn ads a number of times ourselves, and the campaigns have been really successful. If you're ready to revolutionize your B2B marketing, try LinkedIn ads with a $100 credit on your next campaign. Terms and conditions apply. Go to linkedin.com slash project to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash project, or just click the link in the show notes. Terms and conditions apply. You come from a part of the world that I'm so unfamiliar with mm-hmm. that, that I, and I'm fascinated. I want to know more. So I guess you, you grew up and you were born in a small town. Tell me if I'm pronouncing this right. Sal- Salut? Salut? Salut. Salut. Salut, yeah. Which is, on the map at least, it seems like it is about as far north in Quebec as you can go before dropping into the water. Yes. Well, it's the it's the Arctic. Um, not all Quebec is Arctic, right? Because right. we have Montreal, we have... Uh, and then when we go a little further, we have uh, what we call uh, Le Petit Nord. It's a small north, but it's not, it's not the Arctic at all. So yeah, um, we often forget that Quebec is this huge province that has, uh, once you're off of Montreal, you go a little bit on the coast... And then the north starts and then it goes all the way up. So I'm on the tip of um, northern Quebec in the region called Nunavik. And we cover pretty much all of this, but only, of course, near the water. So the middle part of uh, Quebec is there's no population. It's a huge, huge, huge place. So we're 14 coastal villages, Inuit villages. So and tiny, then these are all pretty pretty tiny villages. Tiny villages, and you can only travel by airplane. <laughs> We're about half an hour, forty five minutes each by plane. Each village, fourteen villages, which are uh, in the Angava and Hudson coast, and I'm on the what we call the Hudson Strait, which is the middle, but mainly in the for further most. Um, uh, north, um, northmost mm. village. Yeah. So to get from village to village, can you drive, or is it airplanes to go even from village airplanes, to village? Airplanes, really? airplanes. Yeah. And there's clearly there's no road that just takes you no. from Montreal straight straight no, up through no, the no, middle. No, 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 right. no. Because it's so hard to you know. I mean, not long ago we people were able to 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 reach us because it's so far north. And we can't really build roads because of uh, it's it's so frozen, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's complicated, and and it's okay too. We don't need we don't need that. Tell me more about that. I mean, because <sighs> I mean, there, there's a bit of a smile on your face when you say that. Mm. Well, I mean, there's little places where you can go where it's still very, in a way, very pure. You know, where it's not overly populated. Um, and I think that's important to 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 preserve, especially for us. We we have no trees. We have um, so the view of how how we view our lives is is very much based on we are so little and not so many, and this humongous land and this. Um, in this environment that's pretty harsh, you know, the Arctic is, is you have, you're not everyone is made to be living there. But, you know, if you think about it, generation, generations and generations and, you know, um, yeah, thousands of years of 
you know, people who live there. So we're kind of, it's kind of our environment, even though it's very harsh. Yeah. So how we view the world, how we view life is very, very, very different. So we need the space. We mm. really need that space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me culturally, um, sort of what, what's the history um, of the area and culturally who, who settled it? Um, who's there now? Mm. Um, Inuit, Inuit yeah. are mainly living there. Uh, we have what we call Southerners, <laughs> Southerners who, you know, because um, I, I learned about this actually. My boyfriend was saying, you know, that Salut was became a settlement, became a, officially known as Salut Village in 1979. Oh, wow. Know? Very 79. recent. 79. I was new, n- newborn. Well, I was two years old. So if you think about it, it's it's uh, because we are semi-nomads. So we had to uh, follow the seasons, the animals. So we would travel uh, from one summer camp and one winter camp because it was ideal. And, you, you know, we lived on igloos, right? Uh, you know, like um, snow houses. Mm. And then we had our tents in the summer. So it's kind of... Um, it's very new for us to be, you know, in a place and that's where we live. Uh, so, yeah, in the 60s, um, when federal government um, decided that children should now be learning, you know, going to school. So that pretty much changed everything. Um, like parenting became different, you know, because your children learn by watching, by following you hunting or um, so teachers, uh, federal school teachers, um, had to, you know, be the new guides for, for these Inuit children. So only in like sixties where we settled into mm. villages and then, uh, the stores, Hudson Bay company settled there too. And then the hospital and then, and then it just got bigger and now my village is a thousand maybe 500 it's a big town uh, but not long ago it was a tiny little camp Inuit camp when you were a kid growing up there was it what was the was it more of that tiny little camp or was it closer to the size it is now it's closer to the size yeah i'd yeah. say it was maybe i don't know 700 people 600 quickly what happened also is that it's people from different uh, places in the region that would gather and that's where you know that's how it got to be a bigger town because people were like okay this is where it happens now there's a store where we can go you know buy i don't know <laughs> uh, nothing really <laughs> maybe some uh, flour or tea or it's that's mm. so it's these are very very new i mean it's crazy my town was still in Inglus in the 60s. No kidding. Yeah. It's crazy. The, yeah. I mean, the stories that must be passed down from sort of grandparents and grandparents must be of just like a very, I mean, it, it sounds like the way, even the way it exists today is still a very harsh environment and very simple. Mm. Um, but if, you know, literally a generation or two ago, people were living in Inglus, um, it's, uh, it's amazing. <laughs> It is pretty crazy because the reality is that young kids uh, like my nieces, uh, they're all aware of New York or what goes on here because of internet. 
Um, they're all, they all have dreams. They all want to be super modern. They all want to be, but yet we have a town that's still very, um, you know, culturally thriving, very rich, um, very still oral, you know, tradition. Um, it's important to be able to listen. And also the elders still have a huge, 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 huge place in, in our lives. So we're very much in kids and elders are, you know, everybody lives together. Yeah. yeah. So that's, I think that's where it, for me, is really, that's what I miss the most is being in contact with the people that that we call the wise people, you know. Yeah. Tell me more about the, the oral tradition. Mm. Oral tradition. Well, I, I wouldn't even know how to describe that in Inuktitut just because it's just the way it is, you know? Mm. We don't know anything else in a way. Um, I think not so long ago, people would tell stories, you know? Um, I mean, they, um, as long as we can remember, um, for instance, um, elders or hunters used to talk about um, how the earth is kind of shifting, you know, it's, it's so, because they, they have this very intelligent view of, you know, they look at the stars and they were able to find themselves, navigate through the land, you know, when there was a blizzard or whatever, they, they always knew how, how the stars and the sky is made of. That's kind of how we, so it, it just just that for me is part of a oral you know history oral tradition and also people are taught to listen all the time to pay attention not take notes or not you know just listen over and over and then it's just so yeah we were very we we don't freak out easily <laughs> over things just because when things have to happen, they will happen, and we will have our. We have very strong inst instincts, also. I think just because we're so close to, you know, we're very connected to the territory. It's like we're we're one with the territory, with the land. So I think that's part of oral history. It has to. I mean, we remember, not through exercising or, or what what um writing and writing and yeah. memorizing memorizing it's just we, yeah and we don't have tons of things that we have to learn that are unnecessary you know what i mean we go with what we need today and now yeah i mean it's it's such an interesting frame when wisdom is shared information is shared experiences are shared Orally, and the expectation is not that, well, let me jot it down, let me take notes, let me write this down. Because, you know, if the expectation is, well, the only way I'm going to be able to take this in or process it or do anything with it or remember it is, I really have to be here in this moment. I, I, I wonder how, and I guess that's what you were saying, that mm -hmm. there is um, an elevation of the, the notion of listening and its importance that kind of has to be there because if that's the primary thing. Yeah. Um, you've got to be, it seems like it's, that would really reinforce this idea that you, you've really got to be present with you've people. You've got to be present. Yeah. I mean, 
I'm I'm a little bit of a hyperactive mind, so I tend to be all over the place because I I can't I have a hard time concentrating on one thing, um, unless it's super interesting. Like right now, I'm listening to you like fully, you know. But uh, in my once I'm in the north, there is not a lot that I'm going to not pay attention to. It's it's weird. As soon as I go home in the north, I'm. I'm in the moment. It's like, it's like I'm not meant to be in Montreal with overly stimulating things happening because then it's just it's just too much, you know. So, but when I'm in the north, it has this effect still on me. And uh, luckily, yeah. And I think we forget that humans are we are very very smart, you know. But I think we forget that we have. That human being is able to remember many things and learn many things without necessarily freaking out, you know, freaking out about, oh, okay, I must remember, you know what I mean? So I think it's also just being confident, you know, things will come and, you know, you always have to think that your brain and your uh, your spirit is so much more... Um, I don't know, uh, remembers a lot more and is very s smart, you know. It will it will just find its way all yeah. the time, yeah. I remember a meditation teacher years ago told me um, in response to my question where I would say, every time I sit down, I get a couple minutes in and all of these ideas start coming into my head and, and I'm supposed to just let them go. Mm. And, his, and, and, and I said, but I'm, you know, I'm sort of this creative person and there are good ideas and what if I lose them? And, and his guidance to me, which to this day is still hard for me to take, was if they're truly that meaningful, um, if, they're, if there's truly something to be done with them, they'll come back. Oh my it God, may yeah. not be when you, you know, like get mm -hmm. up 25 minutes later, but maybe a day or a week. Or, but they'll, if, if, if they're really meant to be, you know, have something done with, they'll come back. That's so true. I so believe in that. I mean, I wasn't always like that. I, you know, I moved to Montreal when I was 22, very uh, thriving, you know, I left a small town. So I was like, okay, I need to, I need to know everything, you know, about music, about artists. And I'm like, because we don't, we don't even have a word for artist, you know? Mm. So I was like, okay, I want to do this thing. I want it, you know, a little bit of a gypsy vibe. And um, and so I thought I had to do it like white people, you know? I had to do, write everything. And I wrote a lot of things, but I quickly learned that it's, it's not necessarily going to make me um, more knowledgeable or more smart, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and also I met a, a musician, a singer-songwriter who I collaborated with. And he said, uh, he said, sometimes I just play a, um, the guitar and then I will have an idea. And I quickly want to record it right away because it's such a good idea. So what he said is that he he left, he stopped doing that. And then if it's really meant to be, if it's really something that's so beautiful or so meaningful, he's it's going to come back tomorrow. Mm. So I started doing that, and that's kind of how I did this album, you oh, know? Oh, no kidding. Yeah, oh. I, I kind of, 
decided to have more confidence in my own in- instincts, you know, um, musically anyway. So I kind of relate to what you're saying. It's it's so true. It's it's if it's yeah. so meant to be, if it's so right, it's just gonna come back. And maybe if you don't write it or record it right away, it might be even richer tomorrow or something else. You know. Yeah, I I sort of go in go in the middle right now between mm-hmm. those two extremes. I'll jot down just a couple of words as yeah. a, as a trigger, mm-hmm. but then instead of just like starting to write and write and write. I'll, I'll, I'll intentionally just set it aside. And I know that, you know, if I come back to it maybe a week later, very often I'll realize, eh, there's really not that much to it. It's not that special. And the things that I come back to afterwards mm. and I'm, there's still something calling me about it. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so those are the things I'm going to get, I, I'm now going to expand upon. It's actually a great, I think for a lot of people who are really creative, it's a great almost filtering mechanism because, I mean, we tend to have ideas, so many ideas all the time, and which ones do I run with? And mm. at least for me, that helps discern which ones are really worth going mm. deeper into. Maybe not even just creative people, yeah. maybe people in general who are, I don't know, let's say in music business or in film business, because everything has to be uh, decided or everything has to be, it has to be now. And imagine if we did more of this kind of way of um, doing business, you know, imagine how it would be a lot more meaningful and we would make maybe the right, the better decisions, you know. And I think when we have an idea, it's not because it's a great idea that it's going to be most um, meaningful. I think sometimes ideas come and then you have to let them sit a little bit, and then they'll just be more, I don't know, maybe they'll bring you to a, the truth eventually. Maybe it's that's what it's just saying, you know? So don't want to, you don't, don't want to grab it right away. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? 
for me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33 inch all terrain tires and multi terrain select, then unwinding with with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Good Life Project is sponsored by LinkedIn Ads. So as a business-to-business marketer, your needs are unique. B2B buying cycles are long and your customers face incredibly complex decisions. So isn't it time you had a marketing platform built specifically for you? LinkedIn Ads empowers marketers with solutions tailored for B2B. Imagine having direct access to a billion professionals, including 180 million senior executives and 10 million C-level leaders with LinkedIn's powerful targeting tools built for B2B, you can drive serious results. LinkedIn ads generated two to five times higher return on ad spend than other social platforms in the technology space. We've actually tapped the power of LinkedIn ads a number of times ourselves, and the campaigns have been really successful. If you're ready to revolutionize your B2B marketing, try LinkedIn ads with a $100 credit on your next campaign. Terms and conditions apply. Go to linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject or just click the link in the show notes. Terms and conditions apply. You, you mentioned Inuktitut, um, which I, I guess is the, the language. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also speak French and English. Mm-hmm. When, when do those sort of like enter? Is that something that you learned from the earliest days also? Or were those added over time? Yeah, Inuktitut is, uh, I, I spoke until I was seven. Um, well, I still speak it. And then in grade three, we were able to either learned French or English in our school. So I was seven when my mother, my adoptive mother, um, decided that I had to learn French. And I remember having, um, um, being really, really mad. And I actually, I remember crying like really hard. And I said, no, French, I want to go to school in English, you know, because I knew I had a white uh, Anglophone biological father you know um so i thought you know i had to learn his language in order to one day be able to speak to him so i remember my mom who who you know this little lady who didn't speak english or french and she said you know you're gonna learn quickly english so you're gonna have three languages and uh, you'll be my translator, you know. And I'm like, okay. So I would, she would love it whenever she had to go, I don't know, to the hospital, meet the doctor. I would have to follow her and translate. And so, yeah, she, 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 she did good on that decision. I, I love, I love the three languages, and I think it's they're so different. I think French is very romantic, you know. It's mm. there's something really. 
I don't know. Maybe just because it's from France. You know how French people are a little bit. So everything is a little bit, oh, a little bit more round, a little bit more spectacular. And, uh, you know, English speaking are a little bit more, it's a little bit more square and more practical, which is great. And I can, you know, so I feel like I have different feelings that come out through languages, different languages. Yeah. yeah. Do you, um, I was going to ask you if you, if, if you think in one particular language, but I'm curious whether you sort of almost like code switch for different reasons. I mean, when you're, when you're writing, when you're creating music, when you're just in conversation, when you're just sort of like day to day, are you aware of bouncing between the three, three different languages as one your default? It's crazy, eh? but I think it's something that I dreamt of since I'm a kid. I think I was such a daydreamer that even though I didn't really speak well French, um, I was already, I adapted so quickly and so fast to that language. It's just, I guess it was a form of creativity for me. Um, it's an, and maybe some, some days I, I feel like maybe I adapted too well, you know, too quickly, too easily, because I'm not, I'm not French, but I certainly feel very, uh, a strong bond to Francophone people. And it's not just the language, it's also the people. I want to know who I'm surrounded, what's their story. So it's just, I mean, I love all humans who I'm, you know, so I, I want to, yeah, I kind of fall in love, I guess, mm. with um, the the language, not just the language, but the people also. And English is is same thing. It's also my roots, you know, my biological roots. So, so I'm... Yeah, I, I, it's a very, very, very special. I just feel I'm all of that. I kind of, uh, even though I have a very strong, strong culture, you know, Inuit culture, um, I just always been someone easily adapt, adapting, you know. Um, so that's still a little bit of a mystery for mm -hmm. me because it's like I migrated to a new language, a new culture. And I, I, live, I, I, I'm very well that way. I, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. You, um, you mentioned that, that you're adopted. And in fact, um, one of your songs, Una, mm. really tells the story. Um, and, and, and then there's an entire, actually a series, I guess, of three videos mm -hmm. that go along with it, which, um, which is kind of heartbreaking and beautiful and aching. Um, would you, would you share sort of the, mm -hmm. the story? Well, my biological mother, uh, the first time I remember her is probably I was very young because I don't really remember anything before, maybe four. I, I really, I don't. Um, it's weird, but I, I, that's another, that's another mystery. Um, so, but I, as long as I can remember, I had, I would see my mother, my biological mother in, in the village where I live, you know, probably three streets away from where I lived. And um, for Inuit, it's not um, taboo to know, to, to know, to present your child to the biological mother. But the biological mother is to respect the fact that this child is adopted. 
So they're not going to, you know, confuse the child by calling her my my daughter. You know, they have kind of this distant, naturally, they have to. Um, so, yeah, I would see my biological mother and be like, wow, she's so cool. You know, she would have makeup. She was a TV uh, reporter. Uh, she would be super, like, fashionable. No, nothing like my adoptive parents who were older people who were kind of like in another, from another era, from, you know, the older people. They didn't have cameras. They We were probably the last people who had TV and they would get all these old furnitures that people didn't want. And I don't remember eating with like forks and knives. Like It was like just very, they just didn't take the modern world like, you know, my biological mother, I guess. So I was always fascinated by her. Um, so it was not a secret that, so I grew up naturally when I got to be a teenager, I got closer to her. Um, and to the family, my grandfather, my sisters. So slowly she would start calling me daughter. And it's when my adoptive mom passed away that she was very much more free to call me daughter. But I can't call her mother because mm. she's not my mom. You know, she's, I grew up with the different values that are very close to me with my adopted parents and um, it's when I got to have my second child I realized there's something not right you know I was going through my postpartum and I was like what's going on you know I feel this heaviness and or, or this emptiness and uh, I quickly realized that it had to do with my biological mother that I didn't really want to see her you know um, she was in Montreal for I forget for what, and I was supposed to go see her. And I realized I'm kind of ignoring her. I haven't even called her. So I went to go see this therapist because I, I, was, I wasn't I was feeling well. And I said, you know, I, I think I need to talk to someone. And she said to me, what's, what's going on? Why do you keep staring over there? Like, where are you right now? And I realized without knowing, I was thinking of like, oh, I have to go see Eva, I have to go see Eva. And then she's like, then she's like, why do you have to go see her? And I'm like, well, I have to. She's, you know, she's in town. Well, do you think that she really wants to see you? Like, is it is that it? And I'm like, I don't even know. Maybe not. Maybe it's this idea I have that I owe her a visit, you know? So it all started from there. And then I realized, oh, my God, I have issues with her. And I, I'm like, oh, no. I can't because it's going to start, it's going to have to go all the way to my birth. So that took, I don't know, maybe two, three years to just figure it out. And I, I was very honest with her when I would be in Salut, when I visited. And then she was so cool. She said to me, well, you know what? Do what you have to do. And when you're ready, we can, you know, do. That's all she said. Just do what you have to do. And I thought that was so cool you know she didn't say well what's going on you know and I, I think she had she trusted that I was gonna find my way and I did so I wanted to write a song about her but it was so painful you know but music is amazing that way it, it makes things so much it's like the edges are not as sharp you know it's like okay but it's still very 
very deep, very painful, you know. But um, and then when I did the song, I decided I wanted to do a video clip, and I didn't realize that this video clip was gonna have a part one and part three. The part three is talking to Eva, and um, again she was like, "Okay, what do you want to do?" I'm like, "I just want to interview. I want to talk about the adoption." Yeah, Eva being your biological my biological mom. mom. Yeah. So she was so cool. Again, she didn't ask too many questions. She was like, "Okay, all right." So we met. She came the night before. I said, "You should sleep over because we're going to leave in the morning, and we're going to go see this lady who's going to do the filming." Uh, the director, Fred Berube. So we just sat her, you know, with a nice um, background. It's like she sat there and then there was the camera and I was just near the camera behind and I just, just started the interview and I said, so what was it like when I was born? Because I have no idea. I don't know those details. And I've always had a vision um, how... Probably she didn't have to have feelings because it was too painful. She couldn't really love me because she wasn't going to keep me. So I always thought she mustn't really love me, you know? <laughs> how can you how can you give birth and not love, right? But it's like I saw Eva's heart as like being this cold or her being very, you know, having a not having feelings. Mm. That's kind of how I saw it, but it's it's not really how it happened. Yeah, I mean, when she starts to actually, and you capture this, you know, um, and, and we'll, we'll link to the video, um, I think it's really moving. When she starts to share the story of what really happened, really, I mean, it was heartbreaking for me to hear mm, it. Mm. I mean, I can't imagine for you to be in the, the room and just, wow, was, it, was, was that actually the first time? The first time. I, I, because I wouldn't have asked her naturally, just her and I, me looking right. at her. There, and there's no context like, to be able to I just wouldn't sit down be, and say, let's talk. Maybe I would be like this because we have a mic in between us. Yeah. That would maybe protect it. So I kind of needed that camera, I guess. That's how I was able to make it a thing between us because she was a broadcaster too, right? So yeah. it's a natural place for her and I to be and I also was a broadcaster I did you know some radio tv back in the day in the north so it's it's like kind of I knew that maybe that's how I'm can make it a thing and make it an art form also so yeah I wouldn't have asked her so I needed I needed that so yeah it was live right there and she said to me when you were born I took you in my arms and you have were beautiful with your big eyes and I and I was like wow okay so she thought I was a beautiful baby and then and she says she goes on and says I I loved you and I wanted to keep you and I was like what okay so <laughs> there's a lot of emotions there and then slowly her she started you know she started crying and I was like whoa and then uh, it went on. I asked a few more questions, and I learned that she kept me for a few days and that she had me all the time. And in my head, it was like, okay, so she had me, and then I was put on uh, in a se separate room where all the newborns are. No, it was she actually kept me. And then uh, when she gave me up and my when my parents came to the airport and 
they were already on um how do you say it the tarmac the tarmac and, yeah. on the ice actually in yeah. front of the ah. village um she they were already there ready to take me i she wasn't even out of the plane and they were like you know because your mom had to fly to a different town yes, exactly. to, for the hospital yeah for yeah. the hospital so so she says my arms didn't want to let go you know and i was like wow what a so she this woman has feelings to this woman and she's a very emotional person but it's like she has this very strong side too kind of like me it's it's funny because mm. i'm overly emotional sensitive person but i can be very hard when it's time to you know very practical you know yeah and and it mm. sound it sounds like it wasn't made explicit but it sounds like her mother um essentially made the decision mm -hmm. for her and told yeah. her this is what you have to do yeah because she wasn't married and uh, she already had children so she said you know if ever anything like you were to have a get pregnant or <laughs> she did um she said you know these people my second cousin uh can have children it would be a way to because traditionally it was a form of helping you know others because if people couldn't have children they couldn't survive you know back in the day because mm. you need it you needed help and um so it's a form of tradition that's still passed on there's a lot less uh, adoptions but there still is it's a very it's a very special world it's a very beautiful too because i'm i have absolutely no doubt that if i wasn't adopted I would not be sitting here in New York mm -hmm. City and doing the life that I do and that's what she goes on saying too is that you you I would I would have probably overprotect you and I would want to keep you near me so she would often joke around when I was a teenager oh, you should just move back here you know you could be here you know because they're from a very traditional strong family you know where the individuality is not so um how do you say not as common mm. it's better to be strong and to keep you know to be strong and to help each other and that's so beautiful i learned so much from their family my biological family they're very strong minded and but traditions are very important too to help out and uh, to sacrifice a little bit of yourself for others which i can relate to but i was also brought up to be very free you know very to have a mind of my own because my parents were older so they were not as you know they couldn't really relate to me i guess so that's a beautiful gift i got and uh, i'm very proud to yeah. have yeah when does music start to um to enter your life and 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 i guess when and how and and then when how does it start to become something where it's potentially bigger? You know, mm. um, music came into my life because my quickly, um, I'd say about about hundred years ago, hundred year, hundred year years ago, yeah, not long ago, um, Christianity, you know, reached the north. Anglican churches or Catholic churches um, were built and uh, 
So music as I knew it was from the church, Anglican church. Thank God, because beautiful hymn songs exist, you know. Um, so right away, I was very captivated by music um, from the church, because that's all we had. And um, my mother, apparently, I guess she must have heard that I have uh, sent very sensitive to music and me melodies. And so she always made sure that I would sing whenever family would come over, she would put me on the table and she's okay, she got a, she learned a new song. And I would be like, no, no. and then, or I would call the radio station, local radio station and dedicate a song that I learned to all the Christian people or born again people in the village. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous, but that's how I guess, I don't know, I guess I was trying to find a way to please in a way too, like mm -hmm. to be, okay, I did this. And um, and then, so it took forever until I realized that I was all actually in Montreal when I was, you know, I realized I, I there's something, I there's a fire, you know, that I, that is, that is there, but I, I don't know how to deal with it because I'm very shy and I, I don't like to make mistakes. I have to be like right spot on. I wasn't very wild about my creativity or I was more like, are people going to love me? You know what I mean? There's this need to please more than. So it was it was a weird mix, which made me take my time, I guess, in order to really feel like, okay, do I really feel it? Do I really have it? Do I really have something to say, you know, or a voice? And um, so I I met this guy, Alain, who was uh, a musician who had heard that I was, I had a demo, little demo. I was like 22. I had just arrived to Montreal. And then he wanted to meet up and we met and he really liked it. And he says, we should write songs. I'm like, oh, really? You, you want to do that with me? <laughs> So two years after we had an album and it was like, it was, it went pretty fast. I mean, we toured Quebec, Canada mm. and, um, and then ever since I've been singing and actually living off of music, which is still crazy to me. Mm. So I don't know when it, it really became, I guess it never really Became, there wasn't a moment. It was just a... Uh... Oh, no, because that's not what we do. Like, my uncle has a band uh, since the 60s, you know, rock and roll. I I, I even sang with, with him when I was 15. and But that wasn't something... Because he's he has a, a day job, too. Everybody has day jobs, so it's not really... So I guess moving to Montreal definitely made it even more, you know easier, I guess, for me to find people to, and I think surrounding myself, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good at that because I don't have all the talents. I'm, I can be very, uh, slow, you know, I, I, I need to take my time. So, and I'm very spaced out sometimes. So I need people to, to, to help me out. So, mm. yeah. What was it, um, what led you to to move to Montreal? Um, I decided I was to go to school, even though I had like, a, like according to my mom, I didn't have to go anywhere. I had the perfect job. I worked 
with the kids as the student counselor in my hometown. So I don't know. I just I just felt like I felt like if I didn't move, I was gonna get really old. That's how I felt. Mm. I was like, I think I had done so many things way in advance that I felt like, okay, I need to go somewhere where I'm going to explode, you know? I needed to do that. So it was amazing. I, I decided I was going to go to college, even though I was older, 22, 23. So I went to a creative arts in John Abbott, and I did a year, and then I was asked to work for a um, documentary film that was to go to four different um, Arctic countries. So we did that over a year, you know. A few, and that film ended a up film. doing incredibly yeah. also. Yeah, and also I did my documentary film. So all of this came all at the same time, yeah. all at the same time. I did an album and then I did a um, documentary film. And then my mother had died the year before and then the year after my biological father died. So it was very, those times where I didn't realize it, but it was it was hard, but I I was in the mode of survival, you know? Mm. I, I quickly passed on to, I'm like, okay, no time to mourn, no time to, I can't do that. No one's really gonna, I guess I felt like I can't give in to that because no one's really going to understand because I left, you know. I have to pay the price in a way. So it's only after that. I think that's why I kind of hit uh, depression because I, I had accumulated so many. I mean, how can you not mourn? How can you not, you know, say, I need help, I feel, I'm sad or... But I, I had a hard time doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine also just the change of going from town you grew up in, mm. which is you know, like a thousand or so people yeah. in this like very sort of yeah. isolated environment. 22 then, years. Right. Dropping like, into Montreal, yeah. <gasps> which is this big, thriving, fast, loud city. Yeah. <laughs> very diverse. Very, very, very full of people i mean it's it is a small city in a way but it's a very diverse where there's it's very modern it's very outgoing um so yeah it's like i i wanted it so much i had to fight for it so much i had to convince my mother so much that this was a good decision even though she didn't want me to go and she was getting sick you know slowly um so I guess I made up my mind that if I do go, then I should never ask for to have someone to, to you know, I would call her and she had no idea what it was like. So I, you know, I just, I had to listen to her and, but she didn't really say, and you, how are you? You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's there's not no frame her. of reference. Like there's no, no context. No, yeah. So I've learned to just, be like, you know, I have no feelings in a way. You know what I mean? I it, it's 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 crazy. I'm I'm I still have a tendency sometimes to forget to take the time and be like, okay, so this is my reality, this is what I'm going through, and I could share it with you. Mm. But it's I'm 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 good at talking about it, but to really do it is still not always natural. So I'm 
Uh, but I'm learning with, through my kids I, because I share a lot. Sometimes I talk too much, but at least they're just maybe just because I'm afraid they're going to go through the same thing, mm. you know. I want them to know that they can lean on people or they can lean on us and they can make mistakes and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. How connected are they to celebrate and and sort of like everything that you grew up around mm. versus being sort of more metropolitan, almost city mm-hmm. kids? They're definitely city kids. They're definitely southern yeah. kids. You know, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, it's. I think, I think if you really want to take in a culture, I think you you have to live in that environment. You have to live with that different beat, that different rhythm, that different humor, with the different uh, view of time. I mean, we don't have a notion of, okay, I'll come and see you later. We can say later, but we won't tell you what time. We won't tell you, like, we're not even near the afternoon. So we might just say, I'll come over for supper. So that's easy, you know? But if you decide not to show up, it's okay too. It's so I think as much as they're, you know, conscious of their mother being from this place or being related to my family when they, you know, or when we go, they feel home when we go up north, but it's still it's not easy. I would love to spend more time slowly thinking about, you know, building a, li- a little cabin yeah. so we can just go shut off from, you know, everything. Even though it's not, even if it's not for a long time, it's still, it's important, you know. I have three kids, so it's it's really about time I yeah. slow I mean... down a little bit and go <laughs> build a cabin. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, also just the the idea of having the opportunity to be able to sort of like not just move between these two physical places, but mm-hmm. move between these two states of existence, states mm-hmm. of being. Mm-hmm. You know, because the way that so you important. described, it's like you know, almost like your your you know nervous system down regulates when you go to a different place to. And I feel like as, as parents, like when you have kids, mm-hmm. especially growing up in a city environment, imagine yeah. to have them be able to know this other state, this mm. other way of being yeah. on, on the planet and with each other and with other people, so powerful. It's very powerful and they love it. Like my, my boy, uh, my, my Tayara, he was, um, yeah, he was five or nearly five. Uh, last time we went, that's a year ago. And he was just, it's like a gypsy boy. He would just go from one place to another. There's not really a notion of like time, you know, like it's more, it's chill. We do what, and it's also, it's smaller and there's a lot of contact with people, older people, constantly, constantly. People taking you, like the, the people take, you know, knowing they're my kids, they're like, ah, oh, they'll be like, it's like going to Africa in a way where people are have no distant, you know, everybody's so loving and they're, they're going to do big kisses. And then they'll be like, can I take him? And they're like, sure. So they, they, they're like, oh, okay, we're going to hang out with Trayara because it's Elisabeth's kid and we're like happy she's here and he's so cute. So we're going to just, you know, go walk around with him. And he's super... Okay, cool. So that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool for a kid, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely not how it works in New York City. No, <laughs> not in Montreal either. Right. It's like it's almost like you're stepping back in time, but mm-hmm. but embracing some of like the beautiful elements that we mm-hmm. seem to have uh Apparently it's, it, apparently it's very overwhelming when you go to a place like that. That's I didn't realize it, but uh, like when my friends or musicians they go up north they are overwhelmed with this this human contact that's so it's like there's no how do you say it's so easy you know it's so like after a week being with the inuit family for instance you're easily like you're adopted mm. because there's so they share a very quickly they open up very quickly there is no limit there is no code that is like okay that's like uh, you know a stranger so maybe we should give right, it time like no test that you no, have to pass no, or barriers. No, nothing yeah. nothing as soon as they see you're open to them they love it and mm. then they're like okay he's cool he's my brother now or he's my uncle now he's like you know very easy easy it's it's it opens up right away it's it's yeah. pretty amazing when you listen to your music um you know it's interesting because it, it it feels like um i don't know the music that you grew up around and the music that was traditionally um you grew up around but there's something it feels like this fascinating blend of there's a there's modern there's mm-hmm. there's a strong folk element to it mm-hmm. i guess i'm just curious where where do you draw from? Because you, you seem to live sort of perpetually with a feet in a number of different worlds, mm-hmm. just as a, as a person. Yeah. And as a creative person, as a, as a musician, as a songwriter, as a performer, 
it seems like you draw from so many different places to create this really distinct sound. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely Neil Young. (laughs) There's definitely Bob Dylan, because that's when I started, I guess, dreaming, like dreaming of other places. Uh, There's Buffy St. Marie, uh, there's Leonard Cohen, who I spent many, 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 many nights with. You know, of course, in in spirit. So I've I learned to to go to places where I'm allowed to dream, where I'm allowed to be sensual, where I'm allowed to be in lust, where I'm allowed to do all these things that are maybe not as natural for us Inuit to 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 be to openly say, oh, I'm in love. I wanna, you know, I wanna or or to wanna, I don't know, to to play around with you know with with other humans, you know, other people. So it's just I I I guess I just gather whatever I find touches me, and I think for this album it was uh, going back to the roots, to mm. my uncle's music in the sixties, seventies uh, when these kids were the first to experience the new way of life, you know, when it was transitioning from very traditional Inuit life to the modern, you know, when the 60s, they they got to be hippies too, right? So I'm very fascinated by that time. So I've always been, um, that's why I kind of always never really did anything traditional because I was so fascinated by this my uncle's music, my my aunts who were, you know, I would see pictures of them in the 60s, 70s. I'm like, wow, these kids look like any other kids in the world, but they're Inuit, you know? Mm. So, yeah, something, and I, and I try to, and I try to understand what, what was behind that, you know, how were they going through, how were they living this transition? It mustn't, been easy, you know. So I guess my music is very based on and and also I think re-identifying uh, Inuit or, or indigenous people right now. It's really important. Decolonization is definitely something we're talking about. So I think when you want to do that, when you do that, you kind of have to make music that is with a lot of force, with a lot of guts and a lot of, I don't know, kind of have to get mad, but not making it violent to be violent, but just, and also using the nature. Nature is is, is violent, you know? The nature is strong and f- fierce. So why not take those elements and try to put them into music? But also, I can I think also we are very vulnerable as human beings. So it's important for me to be able to show that too, because I want people to be able to go to their vulnerable side, but also to their very strong side. So I I kind of play around with that because that's where I felt. You know, I felt very vulnerable, but yet so alive and so strong, more than ever. So it's yeah. yeah. The um the name of, of the newest album is the the ballad of the runaway girl, mm-hmm. and at, at first I'm thinking, well, well, obviously, like the runaway girl must be you, mm-hmm. but there's actually a there's a longer history. Mm. The ballad of the runaway girl, 
is actually a song my uncle wrote in his six, late 60s, I'd say. And it's a song that I've always liked, but it wasn't as well known as his other songs. But I've always been cap- captivated the way it was written, the way it was so different. Um, it's And I've always wondered, who was that girl? You know, he never, he didn't really want to tell me uh, what was behind the song. And I love that, that he didn't really want to tell me. I'm like, oh, there's a mystery somewhere. So now as, when I was pretty much done with the, the album, I felt like that song, is it keeps coming back. And I realized that's the title of the album too. So it's kind of like paying tribute to my uncles and to my aunts and to those people before me. Yeah, but it's also me. It's in a way, it's, yeah. Do you feel like... Um... Do you feel like The Runaway Girl has found home? The Runaway Girl, um, I can never really say. Because where is home, you know? For me, it's, I'm still trying to, it's funny because at the end of my depression with my, my second child, I have, a, I have also a baby that arrived uh, a year and a half ago among all this craziness. Um, and it's amazing because he's so cool. He's so easygoing. Um, I I was like, we had just bought a little house. And I was, that's when I felt, I, I realized I was going through depression because I didn't know how to deal with that. It's like, it's supposed to be the most beautiful time where we found a home and I'm with this beautiful person and we they chill, everyone's cool. And it's like, all of a sudden, I felt like, now I can let go? Is that what it means? So I was trying to understand why I, I'm, I'm going through. It's like being on the verge of like being really afraid. It's like I, I didn't know how to take the idea of having a home. It's crazy. It's, I mean, it's, that's how I realized that, okay, there is something there. So, yeah, I, I have a home. But that's where a home is where my, my loved ones are. It could be anywhere. We could be anywhere, I guess. But I think the North will always be the home to my heart, you know, because that's where I, like you said, it's where everything stops. And it's like the brain and it gets a huge massage. <laughs> and then I just feel, I just let go of, Everything, everything. I just like so. It's healing. It's a, it's a very special place because not just it's the land also, but also the way people live. You know, it's you feel free, but it's not just like that. It's hard too because there's a lot of you know people are suffering. Indigenous people all over who were oppressed are going through hard times. You know. Um, there's a lot of suicide, there's a lot of, you know, not a lot of uh, resources also. So it's not a necessarily easy, but there's something beautiful in the way people are. They're just very strong, able to survive many things. And they still laugh like they're the most funniest people in the world. I mean, it's it's crazy. We 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 laugh a lot. It's really important. So home is, yeah, in the north, but 
home is me too, you know? I think that's really important to to know. Um, yeah, hopefully my kids will say home is where a mama is. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, so as we sit here um, in this container of the Good Life Project, it feels like a good place for us to come full circle as well. So mm. if I offer up this phrase, to live a good life, what comes up? Oh, to live a good life. Oh. To live a good life, I guess it's just sharing with other people, to have contact with humans, you know? that's I think that's that's the base, basic life, you know? I mean, I could say to live a good life is to be away in an island where, you know, I'm alone with my kids at... Is it really that? I think it's some, there's something so strong in human sharing, you know, um, to live a good life. is to be kind to yourself, I think. It's, it's the hardest thing, I, I realize. It's so hard. Many people I know still can't even say they love themselves because they think that, you know, they have to be perfect or we think that we have to be this in order to. But I think we have to be a lot kinder to ourselves and to accept that we're nowhere near perfect, you know. It, we don't want to be perfect. Just just look at the nature, you know, how it's, how it's kind of wild and kind of beautiful and really ugly at times or really, yeah. So I think that's kind of, let's try to imitate the nature a little bit. Maybe that's mm. what I would say. Then it's a lot more simple. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Nakormik. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks also to our fantastic sponsors who helped make this show possible. You can check them out in the links we have included in today's show notes. And while you're at it, if you've ever asked yourself, what should I do with my life? We have created a really cool online assessment that will help you discover the source code for the work that you're here to do. You can find it at sparkatype.com. That's S-P-A-R-K-E-T-Y-P-E. Com, or just click the link in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, be sure to click on the subscribe button in your listening app so you never miss an episode. And then share, share the love. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that you would love to turn into a conversation, share it with people and have that conversation. Because when ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change takes hold. See you next time. <laughs>